It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text at 57500. Wanted to start out the hour talking about mulches and using mulch. First of all, talk about the benefits of mulching. Why why should people be using mulch in their flower beds? One, and for me, this is the best thing, is that it helps prevent weeds. And so it can make the flower beds look a little bit more polished. You know, when you have especially like a bark mulch or something in there, but I can put mulch down in my garden or flower beds and prevent 70% of the weeds that would come up. It won't prevent bindweed or we've talked about uh, the white top today, but it prevents most others. And so that's going to be the main reason. Another great reason is that it conserves a lot of water. And so when you put mulch down, you know, that area you may need to water three times a week, all of a sudden you only have to water it twice a week or maybe even once a week, depending on what's in there. So that's the other added benefit. And then the third is that that mulch will decompose and work its way into the soil. And as it decomposes, the top six inches of soil greatly benefit from that organic matter. And it opens up the soil a little bit if it's clay and allows for more water penetration deeper into the soil. But then it also will help with nutrient retention because of those aggregates. The organic matter as it breaks down is charged so that it holds on to fertilizer particles, especially like nitrogen. And so it extends the amount of time that the fertilizer lasts in the soil. There are different types of mulch. Uh, there is different um, textures. Uh, some are sturdier or bigger chunks. Yes. There's several types of bark mulch to where you can get shredded, small chunk bark, medium chunk bark, large chunk bark. And those are the most common. Are they types. all equal in the they way that they pretty act? pretty much are. I, I like the medium or large chunk bark in areas that have high winds because they're far less likely to blow away. Sometimes people will try to use a compost as a mulch, which you can do like soil pep or Miller soil prep. There's several of them that have that look and texture, but the finer 
compost will blow away in the wind so the larger chunk barks are better. Now, there are other things that can be considered mulches. And so rock is one that's becoming more common because it's more permanent. That can be a mulch, even though it doesn't break down into the soil. It's I just still, consider that rock, not mulch. Yes, it, it is a mulch because, you know, it prevents weeds and saves water. And then even sometimes you'll see gardens with plastic sheeting. And that plastic sheeting, like the black plastic sheeting, is considered a plastic mulch because it's serving the same function of reducing weeds and keeping water in the soil. And so they're non-traditional or what we wouldn't consider a normal mulch. But because mulches cover the soil, then rock and plastic sheeting are also types of mulch. Okay, but they don't break down the way the others do either. No, they do not. That's one of the reasons rocks are put in. Now, they do benefit from being shoveled up every four or five years and filtered a little bit to get the dirt out of them because dirt will blow in. Mm -hmm. And so, but the rocks don't break down. And then the plastic sheeting, one of the drawbacks to using it in your garden is that it doesn't break down and you have to throw that plastic away at the end of the season that then goes to the landfill. Okay. So, yeah. Is the plastic bad for the garden? No, it's not. It's been used okay. for years and there's most local vegetable farmers have gone to the plastic mulch because it reduces labor because you can just use a cultivator on a tractor in between the rows and it holds a lot of water in the soil, a lot of moisture, and so it reduces the amount of irrigation that field needs by about 50%. All right. Anything else you'd like to share on mulches? I just get them applied. You can even use grass clippings as a mulch in your garden and flower beds, but you need to be sure you follow the label because there are many lawn weed killers that will say wait a week or two weeks or so before applying to the garden and just refer to the label of what you sprayed if you did before putting grass clippings into your garden. All right. And you can find a complete article on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page as well. I want to get back. Oh, yeah, I want to mention really quickly that that fact sheet we've posted mm -hmm. is a little bit dated, but it's full of really good information. And one of the things it mentions is that it has peat moss as a mulch, and because it can help acidify soil, mm -hmm. it absolutely doesn't. And we found so that's that, why you say it's dated because that yeah, one fact isn't. Yeah, true. we've mm -hmm. done some research and it doesn't. If it does acidify the soil, it's very temporarily for just a few days, and then it's not good to mix peat moss locally into a clay soil because it will temporarily actually make water penetration more difficult. And so peat moss you can cover with if you really want to, but I don't recommend it um, as that. Because that's the only reason it's a little dated. All right. Uh, we have a lot of callers waiting. Let's get to Sam in West Jordan. Good morning, Sam. What was your question? Good morning. I'm finishing a new backyard and have a couple of different apple trees, one of them being a columnar. I would love another columnar-type fruit tree, but I'm having difficulty finding anything other than apple. Do you know, is that readily available? And if so, where would I find one? You'll have to order online, and they can be a little more difficult to find. Stark Brothers used to carry one called Skyrocket or Rocket Peach or something similar. And so you could look to see if they're still selling it. And then I've seen just one or two other columnar peaches out there, but they're only available online. And then as far as other fruit trees, 
There may be some columnar sweet cherries, but again, a little really hit and miss, and probably you're only able to find those online too. Have you ever heard of a columnar pear? Uh, They can be trained to be a little bit more columnar. They want to grow in kind of more of a teardrop shape than a circle. And so you could train them a little bit more narrow if you wanted to, but I've never seen one on the market. Okay. And uh, could you remind me of that site again? You said Stark Brothers? Stark Brothers, S-T-A-R-K. They're out of Missouri, and they're one of the earliest nurseries uh, that sell, has sold fruit trees. They're well over 100 years old, and some local vendors carry their stock in their in their local garden centers, but you can order bare root from them. But it's been a couple of years since I searched for it, but they had that rocket peach and maybe one other columnar. Excellent. Thank you so much for the help. All right, Sam, thanks for your call this morning. Uh, next listener, Ton, before we take a break here, they have a honey crisp apple in their yard. They're wondering what they should plant next to it so it will produce fruit. And they live in Grantsville. It needs cross-pollination with something, a pollinizer. And so I the best pollinizers out there are something like Golden Delicious just because it blooms right in the middle of the apple blooming season and it's compatible with almost everything. But they could plant a Fuji or a Gala those would be fine. And a lot of times it's just planting something. All right. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Looks like Jen and then Pam will be up next. And the number to text your questions, 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton taking your calls and questions. Let's go right back to our phone lines. Jen is on the line in Lehigh. Good morning, Jen. What was your question? Hi. Sorry. I apologize for my voice. Um, but quick question. I have two white rose bushes, and they're just starting to bud. And every year when that happens, there's some browning on the tips. And so I opened one up and shook it on some white paper and little Tiny bugs fell out, so I'm guessing that's thrips. And I'm just wondering if there's a way to save my rose bushes to get them back to normal. How can I treat that? You actually have a lot of options. Now, did you see any webbing in the roses? No. I'm just trying to make sure that there weren't spider mites. Um, They don't look like spider mites. Good. Um, I I compliment you for going going to this extent to figure out what's going on. That's not common for a lot of people to do. 
So there, I'll give you several options. One of them would okay. be a horticultural soap that you would spray every three or four days for a few weeks. And that will do a lot to suppress and eventually eliminate the thrips. And it would go after spider mites and aphids too. So okay. horticultural soap would be one. Then if you wanted to step it up a bit, you could use a systemic. And there are several rose systemics out there that the, the roses would use. You could also just get like a season long uh, systemic, you know, for trees and shrubs from a local garden center and dose the roses up. And that would have, would, it'd take a month or so, but that would eliminate the thrips for the entire year. And so those would be your main options. Okay. So is neem oil considered a... That would be considered a horticultural oil, and it will do the same job as the soap. The neem, and I haven't smelled it lately, but when I used to use neem, it smelled like almost like a putrid garlic to me, and I really didn't like the smell of it. And so I would veer toward the soaps because they don't stink. But if you wanted to use something like triple action or neem, that would be fine too. But you would just need to spray regularly because it doesn't have a very long residual. Okay. Sounds good. I'm just glad I can save them. You can. It's very, they're very savable. All right. Thank you. Jen, thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Tawn, is Becky in Tremont, and she wants to know, she says her burr oak tree leaves are starting to curl on their aphids, and she's wondering how to treat that. Uh, There's several things you can do. One of them is just to monitor, and if it's not getting the entire tree, then natural predators such as lacewings, earwigs, uh man, the ladybugs would get in there and clean them up. Mm -hmm. If it looks like it's getting pretty bad, they can use a stiff stream of water to knock the aphids out on the new growth. If Spray once a day or so to knock them out with a stiff stream of water. They could try a horticultural soap. And if it's just something that looks like it's causing a lot of damage, a systemic that they would apply at the base of the tree would definitely eliminate them for an entire year. All right, next listener would like you to recommend an evergreen that can tolerate low water and full sun that gets to about, you know, two to three feet high and wide. Did you say a perennial? An evergreen. An evergreen. An evergreen. Once established, mugo pines are quite drought hardy. They would need to be watered every 10 days to two weeks, and that's three or four years down the road. But there are so many forms of mugle pine we mentioned earlier to true dwarf that only get 18 inches to two feet to regular dwarf that will get anywhere from four to six feet to the tannin bombs to the big tunas. So mugle pine is going to be among the most drought hardy evergreen. The other family she could use are the junipers. And before people are like groaning and saying, he said juniper, <laughs> there's a lot more junipers than Fitzers and Tams. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the newer cultivars are quite beautiful. You know, there are forms that are only three or four inches off the ground. There's forms that are two feet rounded. Uh, Blue Star is one of my favorite, but there are several junipers that would only need to be watered every three to four weeks once established. You mentioned grass clippings as a mulch. Uh, this person would like to know, can you still use the clippings if a commercial lawn fertilizer company applies pre-emergent? Uh, yes, because or the fertilizer. pre-emergent is in the soil, but I would call the lawn company to refer to the labels of the product to make, to make sure that the label states they can, or there's no restrictions on doing so. All right. Pam is on the line in Smithfield. Good morning, Pam. What is your question? 
Hi. Um, I'm calling about um, our trees. They have got some kind of a orangish, yellow, almost a mossy-looking color on the trunk and going up on to the branches, and the, some of the trunk looks like it's breaking off. And we have it on a few trees, and it seems to be spreading to other trees. Well, if it's only on one side of the tree, like the north side, you could just have some normal lichens that are not causing the problem, and you're just seeing something that's there that may or may not correlate to why the trees are doing that. So is there a side of the tree that the trees are actually like the bark's getting weak? Is it south, let's say, like say the south or west side of the trees? It's on the south a little more, but I think it probably goes around the trees. It you know, may be outside. southwest winter injury. Well, it's been there for a few years. Yeah, and, and it, it just could be getting more. Yeah, and it's, it's cumulative, so it could definitely yeah. be southwest winter injury. The only thing I know of that turns orange like that—that's a fungus—would be Cytospora, and it gets into aspens and another of a number of other trees. And Cytospora will eventually kill a tree, but the bark doesn't slough off. It's just more that the fungus, when it wants to produce spores, will exude those spores out of the trunk through the bark, and it's an orangey color. One thing I'll have you do is J.D. Gunnell, who's your extension agent, sometimes will, when he's in the area, do a quick check, you know, a 15-minute stop. And so your extension office phone number is 435 Seven okay. seven five two six two six three. Okay. And he'll have to fit that in. If he does them, he'll have to fit it in on his schedule when he's up that way because his office is in downtown Logan. But he will do that and it's not. I don't want to say that it's all he does all day long because he's very busy. But when he's in the area, if it's a fifteen-minute stop, then he will usually stop in to verify that okay. it's southwest winter injury or cytospora. But very knowledgeable about trees. And while you're up, and if you're in downtown Logan, go to Mamos for me and have some shrimp and grits. <laughs> So. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for your call today. Uh, before we take a break for the bottom of the hour news, Tom, next person wants to know if you can actually use gasoline on bindweed. Absolutely not. Uh, it's off-label. You'll get arrested if you do it. You could be arrested oh. and through the EPA for soil I knew they shouldn't do it, but I didn't know they could and get they arrested. And probably, if you were turned in, it could cost you thousands of dollars in cleanup to remove and replace the soil. And so do people do it? Yes. Do our neighbors going to turn your in? Probably not, but it's something I absolutely cannot recommend. And because it's hurting, it does, hurting the environment. Yeah. It's a huge pollutant. All right. We're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. Lynn, your call is up next. When we come back, number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.